Hey, this is Jeff. I want to apologize a little bit. My grandbaby Roan's making some noise in the background of this episode. We recorded this back in January when she was living with me and Tasha for a couple months while her mom was settling into to a new life down in Texas. And since then, she's uh, rejoined her mommy. And uh, I got to tell you, listening to those little baby gurgles just about brought a tear to my eye when I started editing this episode for this week. Um, so she might annoy you, but... Uh, Damn, I love that little girl. Um, I don't know if this is an appropriate way to start the episode or not, but that's what I'm doing. Here's the episode. Welcome to the Child Care Bar and Grill Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. With me are co-hosts, Danita Dinger and Lisa Murphy. Why don't you order a drink, kick back, Grab an appetizer and join us for some childcare conversation. Welcome to episode seven of Childcare Bar and Grill. And I'm not sure why, but I always have to look at the sign to remember to say it correctly. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Anyway, it's Danita Dinger and Jeff Johnson coming at you from sunny Sioux City, Iowa on this cozy January day. Yes, folks, these were pre-recorded. We're not live. Anyway, today we are going to talk about trusting. Who do you trust and why? Jeff? What? Who do you trust? Um, with what? <laughs> I don't know. You're the one who wrote it. <laughs> I don't trust is a hard thing. I think um, part of me trusts everybody because I think most people are good people out to do good things. But part of me doesn't trust barely anybody i trust i trust my wife i trust i trust my cats um no because you know they're not going to do it's like it's not like the cat is going to get my pin number well yeah but cats are the most untrustworthy animals there are they're out to get you don't you know not my cats my cats are Oh, oh our, no, I see the way they're looking at us. No, we, we, saved, we saved their lives. They're, they're, they're beholden. Well, that's um, true. And, and so I don't know if that's the reason I trust Tasha, too. She's not really beholden. She could, she could pack a bag and be gone anytime she wanted to, but she chooses to stay around. So um, maybe that's why, why I trust her so much. Um, I don't trust is a real hard thing, but we deal in the business of trust. People, people come to us and leave their children with us and then go off to work for six or eight or 10 or 12 hours a day. And so there's, there's an immense amount of trust going on there, except uh, we don't always, we don't always see it that way. We see it as, oh, we're watching kids. We're, we're, we're working with children, blah, blah, blah. No, we're being entrusted Mm -hmm. with, with the most important people in the lives of these adults and uh, I think we need to we need to think about that sometimes and, and tune in into that. I mean, I don't know. I'd have my, my baby, uh, you can probably hear in the background, my, my grandbaby Rowan is making a little bit of noise. And I'd have a, it would, I don't know if I need blood samples or DNA or whatever to, to trust her, to trust somebody else with her. Yeah, it's true. Trust is a huge thing. So how do you go about building that with families? It's always just happened. Um, First of all, I'm always just greatly honored and humbled, quite frankly, when people choose to leave their children with me. Um, 
And I know it doesn't feel good to have a family that does not trust you. I bumped into that a few years ago, and I had to address it. Um, I, I wrote them a letter and just told them all the things that I adored about their child. And I said, but in order for this relationship to continue, you, you have to trust me, and you have to stop worrying. This is a mother who admitted that during the night, she woke four to five times and checked every door and every window in their home because she just knew someone was going to take their her children. Um, this is someone who almost every morning had just a little FYI for me. <laughs> um, at one point, she was concerned because um, her child was not was waking up in the morning with a dry diaper. And so she um, wanted me to, wanted you know didn't believe when I told her that well she's fine here the diapers are wet and I'm changing them and and just to trust me with that and plus I told her you know what that's fantastic that means that she's ready to potty train <laughs> and you know this was a new mom and so she didn't know that and anyway the letter worked I I finally just I had to write that letter and I said either we move forward or this relationship needs to come to an end and lucky enough they chose to move forward and life was good after that. Yeah, that's that's good because I, and I think I think a lot of it is is about time, um, and I think that's one of the great things about family child care, especially, is that in general the caregiver has more time with the child and more time with the family. They might be in a, the child might be in a center for a long time, but they tend to move from caregiver to caregiver as they as they as they get older. But in family child care, you've got that that long time that you're you've got to build those relationships and to build that trust. And you know, once you're on the third child in a family and that third child is getting to be three or four years old, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of trust built up there, a lot of history. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a big part of it. It's not something that happens overnight, and it's not something you can do with a parent handbook or a brochure. Uh, you might be able to design a paperwork that's inspiring and that might might uh, suggest trust, but real deep down gut feeling human to human trust just comes through interaction and time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it does take time hard to build up so because it helps you know a lot of times my families are referred from other families so that that gets you halfway to that full trust yeah that's you that's know, somebody saying start, hey i trust are, them those are my favorite families to get because you know there's going to be an yeah. element of trust there already well and there has to be anyway for that family to bring you but i i just think because i never went through that obviously my children were with me in my daycare and so i don't know I, I think i would probably have struggled with making that decision of where to take my child and to be able to trust trust them in that home with that person. Yeah, and, and even though I'm very trusting, I am a su- supremely trusting person to a fault almost. Yeah, I'm so, kind of the same way. I, f- I figure people are out to I mean, I'm out to do good. Yeah. And so I just assume the best out of other people. Yeah, I just assume the the whole world's got that spin and I I know that's maybe naive and and frankly we've been uh what's the politically correct polite way we screwed over by some families because you know in the past we've let families build up bills that got a little bit higher than they should have been and and then never saw the money and uh but I don't blame them I blame myself for mm-hmm. that because of my naivete or 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 the naivete yeah huh? that was pretty fancy wasn't it or it or maybe <laughs> I, I hope get that. did I say episode 7a for this one <laughs> 7A. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's because I have the word sucker tattooed <laughs> on my forehead. I don't know. Oh. I had I had a bike stolen in college, and I was it was like uh, 
I, I couldn't believe it. And then I honestly, people, I honestly thought they would bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still waiting? Yeah. <laughs> I I was like, oh, that's okay. They, they must have just borrowed it to get to class on time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll bring it back tomorrow. They'll bring it back. I've, I've had two things stolen in my yard that really kind of torqued me off. Uh, years ago, we, we were re reshingling the, uh, we've got this big old, carriage house and we were reshingling it i put uh, cedar shake shingles on it and at the top we i got a good deal on this this copper rooster weather vane and i thought oh awesome and i put it up and i'm all happy because it's all bright and shiny and the sun is shining the sun reflects off of it and it's awesome and one morning i get up like a week after i installed it and it's gone somebody i was still working on the roof somebody had climbed up the ladder in the middle of the night stole my copper rooster and took it off. I don't know. Melt it down. I don't know what they did with it. But I, I miss him. And yeah. the other, the other one is that the, the same corner of the yard. I had a hammock. Somebody took my hammock. They took it, your hammock. They took. They rolled up my hammock and drove off with or walked off with it. I don't know. I called the police. You didn't wake up. No. Yeah. You think you'd hear that? <laughs> Somebody sneaking away with your hammock. With you was, on it. Yeah. I was sleeping. I was napping. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I called the police and reported it missing, and and like they're kind of like rolling their eyes. You can hear the woman rolling her eyes that she got to take her police report on this. But you know, crime. There's all you kinds. You called the police on your missing hand. I called the police on my missing hand. There's all kinds of crime that goes on, and and uh, it doesn't get reported, so it doesn't make any statistics. But the thing is, the newspaper does this little. And how do you feel that your stolen hammock has now made it into the statistics it, of the crime rate in Sioux City, Iowa? I feel good. It also made it into the newspaper. A couple days later, they they have this thing in the newspaper where little little dumb things from the police reports. <laughs> And, and right they, underneath, lady yeah. feeds baby. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all this kind of all this kind of stupid stuff. And and then there's a uh, man reports uh, green and white striped hammock missing from yard. Ooh, that <laughs> and, was a good news voice, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Maybe we'll add a news segment later. So uh, I don't I don't know. I, some people maybe you shouldn't trust. Um, yeah. Another kind of trust we should talk about is is trusting kids as learners. Um, and uh, we talk about this in the Let Them Playbook. There's not enough of this going on. Uh, I think in a, in a lot of early learning settings, the, the adult, because they're the adult, they, they think the learning focus needs to be on them, that they are the center of the learning universe. But the reality is what brain research tells us is that, that, that learning is self-driven. It comes from within. And so we really need to trust kids to, to lead their own learning. Um, and I, I visited your program a couple times and I, I, I see a lot of that going on there. How do you, how do you create an environment in your program where you can trust kids as learners? I listen. I know my children very, very well. And I know what will lead them in new directions and new interests. I know what motivates them. I, um, I, I'd say the best thing that I do is I don't do anything. I sit back and I observe and then I add just pieces that are going to enhance what they're talking about, what they're interested in. It might be a book. It might be some um, object. It might be something totally new to introduce them to something completely uh, different that they've never thought of. Um, I've just really, really learned over the years to just do to do nothing, to just quietly observe, keep my mouth quiet. So you, wa you like watch Dr. Oz and eat bonbons? Yeah, yeah, I'm in the <laughs> other room. No. <laughs> no, I sit, I have a stool, I sit on it, and... Um, I have a Facebook page um, for Play Counts. I have a Facebook page for my daycare families, and I kind of update both of those as to what's currently happening in my program and 
what I think I'm, what direction it may go now. Um, some days I'm more actively involved because I, I need to be. Other days I can just sit back and literally just observe and and totally let them control their learning. I mean, I, it has not failed me. I ha I mean, the children in my program are, um, they're so imaginative. They're so creative. They can take a box and turn it into anything. They can take a plain old jar and fill it with, you name it, and it becomes something that I, my brain couldn't even possibly imagine. Um, but it took me years and years and years to get to that point. I definitely did not think that was the way young children learned when I first started being a family child care provider 14 years ago. I definitely planned. I led them, and I had children that would ask me what we were going to do. And all of a sudden, that just kind of made me sad because I realized that they were incapable of doing something unless I told them what we were going to do. And so once I kind of had that, there was a couple of other aha moments that I had that just led me to realizing that it needs to be the other way around. I need to be the one asking them, and not necessarily through question, but just through listening and observing and adding to their day. Yeah, Does I that think, make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I think, I think what happens is... Um, I don't know, we're the adults and we're in charge and so we think we need to do, we need to lead everything. But if we look back at our own childhoods, we were pretty much trusted to learn. I don't know if they were really trusted. We were, we were trusted to uh, to manage ourselves. I mean, we, we'd go outside and, I, would tell you, I mean, we've all got stories about uh, you're out in the neighborhood all day long and you're with the neighborhood kids and, you know, somebody throws a sandwich to you and you're out there playing and you're... And, and there's just not any of that anymore really yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean we're, we've, we've we've created this culture of fear and, but we don't trust kids e either we don't we, we don't allow them to to manage and and own their own time and their own schedules everything is so micromanaged um when when you were a kid uh you played with cows yeah i grew up on a farm and i spent my entire day outside i played in the cattle chute mud pies were my dishes um which i finally a year ago year and a half ago, I think it's been, met somebody who is like my soul sister, mud, Lisa. Mud pies? Yep. Or are they mud pies? Or? Uh, dried cow pies. Okay. But Lisa oh. from Hutchinson, Minnesota, who's become a dear friend of mine, and she's a fellow family child care provider, um, she too played with mud pies. Only mud, mud, mud pies. Mud pies. Mud pies. Cow pies. Okay, there's a cow difference. Pies. Cow pies. Sorry, cow pies. <laughs> Have I been saying mud pies? You've been saying mud yeah, pies. Yeah, no, people. This is cow pies. And if you don't know what that is, pause and go Google it. Anyway, I met this awesome uh, provider, Lisa, who has also played with cow manure, only she took it to a whole different level than I did. She had shingles, like rough shingles so she got on her farm. So she got shingles from playing with the cow pie? No, no, no. She was playing with shingles, and she would use the cow pies as her peanut butter, and the shingles were toast. Of, of course they were. Now, I played with dry cow pies, a whole totally different story. And no, there was no, you know, antibacterial soap. And I lived. I'm shocked. I'm alive today. But I would put on shows for the cows and perform. And I tell you what, they all came and watched. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what else? What all else? two thousand of them. We live on. A, I grew up on a huge farm. What else is there to do if you're a cow? <laughs> I know hey, it. I know hey, it. the human kids put on another I know show. It. I know it. I know it. I yeah. I was outside all day long. Nobody knew where I was for the whole. Nobody entire was day. worried that you were gonna get. No. Lost or the no. cows were going to eat, are the cows carnivores? No. Or were they the cows going to eat you? Or Yeah, no. Yeah. I were, don't know. I was going to say something really so did they, did they valuable. Tr did they trust you or do they just not care? Probably a mix. 
maybe that's what my problem was too. I was I was outside. There's just there's so much else going on. That I have a feeling there was a little bit of good riddance in that. And here we are again, finding ourselves speaking about what I call the T word. Well, actually, I have a couple T words. One of them is time. This one this week is trust. And so many of you have heard me talk about this, that actually I was quite hesitant to even bring it up because I, I know most of you listening, well, with the exception of all the new people who are still just wondering what the heck we're all about, um, trust is like a key component of my my workshop. It's a key component of my keynote address. It is, it's huge. Without trust, there is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. And I feel very, very, very passionate about this. You can have, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because I believe it down to the toes, my own toes. Um, you can have the sexiest yard. You can have every single manipulative on your shelf that school supply stores sell. You can have 14 staff members with master's degrees. You can have people on board that have 30 to 40 years of experience who claim that they just love children. But at the end of the day, if you all do not trust each other, none of that matters at all, at all. You can be accredited up one side and down the other. You can have 14 stars given to you by your state. You can be aligned with every single rating scale, PQR, LMNOPRIS scales, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter if there is not an infusion of trust within the entire operation. When I was um, starting to truly babysit, now babysit in the sense that I was still in, you know, like elementary school, junior high, and I started to take care of some of the kids in the neighborhood on the weekends, there was a woman who made a profound impact on me, probably equivalent to the one that Miss Mary made on me when I was three and I experienced my first day of school, um, but that is a story for another time. Mrs. Brandt brought me on a tour of her home. Now, mind you, I was probably 12. And, you know, she's taking me on this tour. She's speaking to me like a peer. I mean, treating me with the utmost respect and is showing me where the fire extinguisher is. She's showing me how to use the fire extinguisher. She is showing me how to wrap the, at the time, infant up um, and how to swaddle her appropriately to throw her out the window if necessary how to unravel the emergency ladder that was on the second floor, you know, and in my, in my, you know, pre-adolescentness, you know, I'm just like, really, are you, you, you just go already for crying out loud. Where are the chips? You know, that's, that was, but, but so then we take this story and I'm paying attention, you know, and I'm listening. I'm not like blowing it off, but at the same time, there was a part of my bread, my brain, my bread, part of my head that was just like, you know, I, I, I don't really get this. So anyway, so we go through the whole house, through the basement, first floor, second floor. We end up back in the kitchen, and she sits down across from me, and with every bit of, like, seriousness, but yet also respect and sincerity, this woman looks at me and says to me, 12 at the most, 12 years old, 13 maybe. And she says, you should feel so lucky that I am considering you to be worthy of watching and tending and taking care of my children. She said, I would never, ever, ever let anybody 
be in charge of my children if I would not also give them the key to my house and the key to my car. She then slid across the table a key to their home and looked me square in the face and said, and when you are old enough, you will also have a key to my car. And I tell you, there's not many things that I can remember with crystal clear clarity, but that is one of them. That is, and it has made an impact on me, as many of you know, because you've heard me tell the story. When I did family childcare, when I had my center, I would like to get a key to your house and a key to your car. And quite honestly, I'm not really comfortable enrolling you if you are not willing to do that. And, and we took this, I mean, we, people, I, I think sometimes they thought we were joking, you know, oh, we go through the policies and the rules and the regs and do all the paperwork. And then I'd look at the parent or the grandparent or whoever was enrolling the child. And I'd say, you know, seriously, one more thing, um, before you're officially a part of the program, I need a key to your house and a key to your car. And, you know, usually people would be like, well, all right, that's kind of weird. You know, here you go. And, you know, they'd take the key off and, you know, somebody, they'd like argue a little bit like, what do you mean? What do you think this is for? I don't know. Just give it to her. Hurry up. We need childcare. But every now and again, you would get somebody who like would stop and actually ponder that. And, you know, they'd go off on this little bit of a monologue about, you know, key to my, key to my car. What do you need a key to my car for? You know, we, we come to you. Why do you need a key to my house seriously I keep my, you know, i've been saving a long time finally got that suburban sitting out in your parking lot give you the key to my car key to my house are you kidding jeez yeah we, we just met you and then there would be this pause and during that pause at some point although it felt like an hour had gone by it was typically never more than about five to ten seconds one if not both of the family members looking to enroll the child would realize the point that had just been non-verbally made, which was that they were willing to sign their six-week-old child up for 40, 50, 60 hours a week of childcare, but they would not let me touch their stuff. And there was an aha moment that took place at that point. And then the true conversation would be able to happen which is that if you honestly right now would not give me a key to your car or the key to your home, I am not willing to put myself in a position of enrolling your child. Because until you trust me with those peripheral items, how in the world could you possibly be claiming to trust me with your own child? I need you to hang out a little bit more. I need you to ask a couple more questions. I need you to hang out and be here until you do trust me with those other things. And if for whatever reason it should come to pass that you would not leave me a key to your house or the key to your car, I will assist you in finding another form of childcare, another arrangement, but I am not willing to take that on. Because at some point, every single person who's listening to this, this recording to this podcast, if you are directly involved in caretaking children, preschool, kindergarten, you will have to call a parent and let them know that somebody got bit or somebody got kicked or somebody fell off the swing or somebody fell off the structure and broke their wrist or whatever. And I'm not saying those calls are easy and nor am I saying that we should, you know, in somehow enjoy making those calls. That's not the point. The point is, is that if the, the, the relationship that we have with our clientele is based on trust, 
if the entire relationship is grounded on a sense of, I believe that you would never, ever, ever do anything that would put my child in, in harm's way, that I, I truly trust this environment and you and the other people within it. There's no room during that phone call for the parent to be second guessing the situation because they trust you. Some of you listening have CDAs, AAs, bachelor's, master's degrees, but you're not allowed to adjust the air conditioning unit in the classroom, which, you know, I, I, it, I, I still laugh about this because it makes me absolutely crazy. And, and not that you don't get to touch the heat register, but, but the, the, the kind of spirit behind the rule, you know, the spirit behind it. You, you trust me with 36 children on a daily basis, but don't think I can handle myself around an air conditioner. You know, teach me how to use it for crying out loud. Give me some bit of credit here. Because usually the main reason why I'm not allowed to touch it is because somebody used to work here, you know, 45 years ago who had the heat jacked up you know, like it felt like Florida in the, in the toddler room here. But instead of now telling me, Hey, that's a little too high. Let's turn it down. This is how you do that. We now have a policy and, and that just gets me antsy because the policy was created for one person who doesn't realize that the policy was created for her and 25 other people who didn't actually need that policy. Do you trust me? Do I, as a teacher, as the provider, as the caregiver, do I trust my administrative team? Do I trust my parents? And how do they know? How do they know? Is there a mutual understanding? I mean, you surely can't just hang up a poster. We all trust each other here. Yeah, that's superficial and stupid, and nobody's going to believe it anyway. It takes a lot more than a poster and a slogan and a, and a bumper sticker, you know, and so much more than that contributes to a sense of trust. As teachers, do you have the materials that you need, the supplies that you need? Are you trusted that you can handle yourself around a storage closet, or are you made to sign out paper towels? Now, I will speak to the other side of that, and some of you have heard me say this before, but it is true. As a former administrator and an owner, I, I will say that teachers, take a breath, we, you got a little bit of a hoarding problem. There's cupboards stuffed with stuff, stuff, 49,000 rolls of paper towels. You don't need 49 paper towels hidden in your personal cupboard if you trust that the tools and the supplies that you need will be in the general communal storeroom. But if it should have come to pass that the materials are not made available, then we then stop trusting now, I realize it's a paper towel. In the, in the big grand scheme of things, what's a paper towel? But it's some of those basic things that we need to do our job. Sharpie markers. Oh, my gosh. I opened a drawer one time. She had like 2,000 Sharpie markers in her drawer with masking tape written on it. This is my Sharpie marker. This is my Sharpie marker. And we get very protective and very defensive of that. And why? 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 It's because we don't trust that the stuff that we need is going to be there. As silly as some of that stuff might need, it can be very, very, very frustrating to go reach to put somebody's name on their artwork, to dictate the story that somebody runs up to you so excited to tell you, and to realize that you do not have the tools that you need to capture that. Take a breath. It all comes back to trust. The Maslow analogy is my favorite one. If you think of that triangle, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and down at the bottom of that triangle are the basic needs, the food, the shelter, the clothing. And if I trust that all of that is going to be met, then bam, I can work up to that next stage. And when those needs are met, then bam, 
I can work up to the next one. But if there's any element of basic needs and of trust not being met, it is absolutely impossible to continue up that trajectory. And you parallel that with a with any program, family child care, center-based, in elementary school, it doesn't matter. If you look at that pyramid, at the top of that pyramid, the equivalent of the self-actualization component of Maslow, we can see that that might be a well-articulated program plan, you know, a very, very strong curriculum. Everything is put together. The handbook is strong, all of that peripheral stuff, but none of that matters. Bam, you're right back down to that first layer of that triangle when those basic needs aren't being met and the basic needs come to trust. Do we trust each other? Do we trust that my needs are going to be met? Do the children know that at the end of the day, we exist there in that space to make sure that they are creating relationships with adults who are going to respond to them? And do children realize this? Do they trust? That old trust versus mistrust. Is that crisis resolved effectively in our programs or are we unintentionally contributing to some of that stress? Um, so you, you, you say that you're, you know, you're doing your job, you're trusting the kids when you're, when you're, uh, and you're not doing anything. So how's that, how's that look? How's that work? I feel I'm doing my job if I'm feeling a little bit on the board side, because I've taught children and given them the opportunity to solve problems for themselves, which is a huge confidence booster. They're working together. They're using teamwork. They're collaborating, they're compromising, they're sharing, all those things that we work so hard on. If they don't need to say Danita or they don't need to come and tell me or there's no crying and there's all this learning going on, I'm doing my job right. However, it's a little bit on the boring side for me. <laughs> <laughs> so how do, how, do, how do we as caregivers know that we're trusted? I mean, parents trust us. They leave us with their kids and, and that shows a lot of trust. But it seems like we've talked about this in other episodes. Um, it always seems like there's somebody, there's the them looking over our shoulders a lot of the times. And I know a lot of very dedicated, very experienced caregivers who don't feel like they're trusted by the states they're doing care in because um, of the overwhelming bureaucracy and paperwork and, uh, and regulations and red tape and um, system of BS, I guess, is uh, uh, the way I prefer to put it um so you know how where's the there's a fine line there between regulations that um provides health and safety and all those kind of things and regulations that are overbearing and devalue caregivers oh are you done i was listening that was good nothing profound to add no <laughs> No, but it is it is it is a slap in the face. I think sometimes when I hear regulations in other states, um, South Dakota, thankfully, so far, um, there's not a ton of regulation. Like we can use a jumping house in our homes. I have like a small jumping house that we use in the winter time, and there's some states that that is not allowed, and so they use mattresses for the kids to jump on. Um, just things like that. Shaving cream. Some places can't use shaving cream. The whole toilet paper tube thing. The, I mean, there's this, there's this uh, certain amount of common sense that goes into being an adult. And 
I don't know where I'm going well, with that. Well, one of the big things we have to learn um, to survive as humans is risk assessment. And the only way we can we learn risk assessment is through through trial and error, through practice. And so I try to create an environment for the kids in our program where they are, are completely trusted um, as, as much as they can be for their ages. And that means we do things like we play with sticks and we climb apple trees and we go up the slide. We walk with scissors. Oh, my gosh. we! I, I know. it. I, you should have seen the response I got on Facebook when I said – you know, but we were doing that day and the kids were walking around with scissors and I, I practically got attacked. And I'm like, people, you got to trust if, if they're never given the opportunity to do that, how are they ever going to learn how to safely walk with scissors? I'm sorry. Life does not always give you a table and a chair with the scissors. Yeah, Sometimes if- you got to walk with those scissors from somewhere to a table or you need to cut when you're standing up or when you're sitting on the ground. Yeah, our girls, if they want to use the scissors, they got to push a chair over to the shelf and stand up on the chair yep. and get the container My with the scissors down. And, yep, they can use a chair. If they're solving a problem, they can stand on a chair. And 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 yet we've we've created this, like I mentioned before, this culture of fear where where people are in shock if kids are trusted with this kind of things. Um, I, I I've posted pictures about my my uh, my love of allowing children to crawl up the slide mm-hmm. on Facebook, and I've I've had people unlike my uh, explorations are learning Facebook page because because I'm, I'm, I'm advocating something that's so risky and so dangerous. But if you talk to child uh, childhood um, um, occupational therapists that work with kids, um, they say this is, this is a very good thing for them because If you have never climbed up a slide, you need to do it. It is so hard and it uses muscles that you don't use for anything else during the day, but they're muscles that need to be strengthened in order to control your hand to write. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Climbing up a slide is a pre-writing activity. And, yeah. and we don't step back and see that enough um, because before those fine muscles in the fingers get developed, you got to develop the core muscles and climbing up the slide is a huge core body strength kind of thing. And and so those are little bits of trust, trusting them to climb up the slide, trusting them <laughs> to walk across the room with a pair of scissors, trusting them to carry their own plate with, oh, ooh, a, a fork on it into the, into the uh, kitchen after lunch, trusting them to climb up the apple tree, trusting them to, oh, anything. Well, and people are like, well, what are you going to do if they run? Well, if they run, you take the scissors away and they don't get the scissors anymore. They're going to be quick to learn, okay, I have to walk if I want to keep these scissors. Yeah, and I might not even do that. I might say, hey, good job being careful while you were running. Oh, no, I wouldn't. See, uh, now, Jeff, I think I'm I, did. More... I would unlike your page <laughs> if you said that. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little bit more trusting. <laughs> We want to hear from you. This is a little bit of a call to action. Do you feel trusted as a caregiver or parent? Do you trust the kids in your program? Do you trust kids as learner as learners? Do you trust in play? Let us know. We want to hear your comments. We want to hear from you. Contact us. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. Health and happiness. Toodaloo. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. You know what? We should have gotten into more of trusting play.